Just a quick addendum to the announcements. Uh, we announced about the event going on at Widewater. We just wanted to announce that that's actually uh, near Liberty Center, near Liberty Center, not near Waterville on Old 24. So I just want to make sure that that got announced. So Luke 16, we're going to be continuing our study here through the book of Luke. We're going to be picking up in verses 14, and we're going to do verses uh, 14 through 31, hopefully Lord willing today. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, part of the beauty, and this is one of the first things I loved when I first started coming out to Harvest Fellowship, about uh, 20 years ago was this idea of verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible. You get a chance to see the whole context of what God does, and I just absolutely love that, and it's a wonderful blessing. Part of that blessing is you get a chance to go through passages you normally don't go through. Part of it also is sometimes you go through passages that you normally would want to skip over a little bit. And there are some passages here in Luke 16. This is not the type of topics I would say, hey, let's talk about this on a Sunday morning. Last week, verses 1 through 13 was all about finances and money. And, you know, the church already gets a bad stigma as it is that Christians just want your money. But we took time last week and talked through that and talked about the biblical understanding of finances. And then here today in verses 14 through 31, there's some tough passages in there. And it would be really easy to say, let's just skip over those passages. But no, you want the full context of God's Word. So, a, just a quick review because we have to understand where we were to see where we're going. In verses 1 through 13 last week, it was about finances and money. And God basically summed it up. It was Jesus said in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Now, what happened with that statement was verse 14. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. See, the Pharisees had this mindset that if you were blessed in this world... You were obviously blessed by God. So therefore, the closer you were to God, the more blessings you would have in this world. So if you had the nice things, obviously you were close to the Lord. If you were poor and beggar, obviously you weren't close to the Lord. They were basing things on the outside appearance rather than on the heart. And that's where Jesus is going to go this morning. He's going to take this mindset and say, we need to build on this. Because it's not the outside that matters, it's the inside that matters. Now, the first point we have, we just read in verse 14, is when the Pharisees heard this... They derided him. Now, that's not a word we use too often. Some of your translations may say sneered at him. I think one even says turned their noses up at him. There's this phrase in the Bible where they scoffed at him. Now, the word scoffed is not a word we use a lot either, but it's an important word to know. See, what happens is when you scoff at something, when you deride it, when you sneer at it, somebody is speaking truth to you, and the truth of the matter is you don't want to hear the truth. So you just ignore it. You push it aside. You don't want it. Proverbs talks about this. You don't need to turn there, but there's a couple quick verses. Proverbs 13.1 says, A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 15.12 says, A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. So you can tell the maturity of somebody by how they handle correction. I've been on the side of correcting people, and I've been on the side of being corrected. Neither one is really much fun. But... How someone handles correction shows their maturity. If you are prayed up, led by the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, and you go and try to lovingly correct somebody, how they respond shows their maturity in the Lord. Hopefully a mature believer will hear that correction and say, you're right, I need to work on that. But there's this other term called the scoffer that doesn't want to hear it. And I tell you, I've been on both sides of that once again. There's been times I've gone to people and been prayed up and said, listen, I'm telling you this in love. I want to speak the truth here. Let the Spirit lead. Here's an issue I think we need to address. Amen. They hear it. They correct it. We move on. 
There's also times you go to somebody and they just don't want to hear the truth. You're the one that's wrong. You're the one that doesn't understand the situation. You're the one that just is judging me. Do you realize I've heard more non-believers use the phrase, don't judge me, than I've heard Christians. Non-believers know that verse of judge not lest you be judged better than believers do. Because any time you try to go into someone's life and lovingly help them, correct them, spirit-led, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I care. I care. Jesus is speaking truth to the Pharisees. I believe Jesus did everything in love, and I believe Jesus was sure spirit-led. So with that being said, the Pharisees, they don't want to hear truth. I remember distinctly one time listening to a message on the radio, and the message was hitting home, way too close to home. You know the beautiful thing about a radio is? You just turn it off. All of a sudden, conviction stops, just like that. Problem is, when you're having a conversation with people, sometimes they don't stop. So therefore, you don't want to be around them. You don't want to be near them. We scoff at it. The Pharisees were scoffing at the truth. They derided him. They sneered at him. They didn't want to be around this. This was hitting too close to home. Pharisees, you're too attached to money. You're too attached to the things of this world. Jesus then goes one step further, verse 15. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, if you read verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, they sure don't seem to flow together in any way whatsoever. What is the logical progression here of what Jesus is trying to say. First thing, verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men. The Pharisees looked good on the outside. They looked real good. If you'd go back in time a couple thousand years ago, you would see a Pharisee, they would just look like reek of religion, closeness to God. And the common man would look at the Pharisee and say, I could never be like them. Look at the way they walk. Look at the way they act. Look at this religious hierarchy they have. And who am I to question anything? That's the outside appearance. What's the inside? Go to Matthew 23, please. Matthew 23. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew. So if you want to keep your hand in Matthew or mark it, we're going to come back to Matthew a few times here today. Matthew 23. I think Matthew 23 is one of the most scathing chapters in the entire Bible. When you look at Matthew 23... Jesus really gets to the heart and soul matter of what the scribes and the Pharisees were like. This hypocrisy that they lived in. And how they did everything just to be seen by men. Let's start here in Matthew 23, verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men, they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of the garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. These scribes and Pharisees wanted the attention of men. They dressed a certain way to get the attention. They would carry scriptures and boxes on them to be large and to garner attention. Their clothes were that way. They wanted everybody to stop and call them rabbi. They wanted the best seats. They wanted all the attention that mankind could give them. That's what they wanted. What were they like on the inside, though? Stay in Matthew 23 and jump ahead to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's what they were. They looked good on the outside. They talked a good talk. They wore the Christian clothes. They had the Christian bumper stickers. They always had their Bible. They were always saying, Amen, praise the Lord. They had it all down. But their hearts were not right with the Lord. We still have Pharisees today. This idea that outside appearance looks good. And the thing is, we don't question them. Well, why would we question them? Because obviously they're saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things. They're acting all the right ways. But their heart is not right with the Lord. This great example that Jesus uses in verse 27 of whitewashed tombs. We mentioned this just a few weeks ago. If you go to most any cemetery around here, it's beautiful. Landscaped, flowers, Memorial Day is coming up in a few weeks. They're going to look wonderful. But there's still a cemetery that's covering graves. Same thing here with the Pharisees. They looked good, they sounded good, they acted but yet their hearts were not right with the Lord. Once you got into the inside, you saw what they were really like. So the purpose of today's teaching through Jesus is to say we have to get to the heart issue, not just the outside. Because the vast majority of us, we show up at church, and guess what? We look good. We sound good. We act good. Where's the heart? And that's what we want to make sure of. It's that inside that we've got to be careful about. My boys just had a life lesson in this not too long ago. We were at a park. And we were at a park, and we were out there playing, and one of the boys said they had to use the bathroom. Now, if you have numerous kids, you know it's like a domino effect. Once one says they have to use the bathroom, then two do, three do, four do. So, we need to go find the bathroom. So we go to the bathroom, and guess what? The bathroom door is locked. So over in the distance, there is one of the portable toilets. So if we have to go, we go over there. So we go over there to use it. First one to go in is Judah. Judah's our second one. Judah comes out and comes out, his eyes are just beaming, and he says to the boys, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He's just thrilled. So the next one goes, the next one, all four of them go in, and they just come out, and this is the most amazing thing. They get down on their hands and knees, they're looking under it to see, it's like, guys, get up. This is, yes, this is is not amazing. It's, It's a portable toilet. So, moving on. We went to some kids' fest not too long ago. So we pull up to the Kids Fest, and we get out of the van, and there's bounce houses, there's inflatables. It's anything you can imagine that a kid would go nuts for. What's the first thing they see? Dad, they got a portable toilet. That's what they're excited about. They, they have no idea what's on the inside. They have no idea what that is really going on. It just looks amazing to them. The Pharisees are the portable toilets of the Bible. They, there's, there's an excitement. It looks good, but inside it's just it's gross. See, and God is saying, I have to get past the outside and get to the heart. And Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the Pharisees here saying, listen, you guys look good on the outside. In fact, there's actually a passage in the Bible where Jesus says, do what the Pharisees say. Just don't do what they do. Because there, there was a truth to what they were saying. But their lifestyle was not backing up that truth. They were hypocrites. They were fake. 
They were false. So Jesus here in verse 15 says, You justify yourself before men. God knows your heart. And God knows that this is not right. Now, follow the logic here. Because now we get to verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Jesus is trying to say here, you guys are following the law. Okay, there's good in the law. But now that John has come, verse 16, we're moving past the law. And I'm going to build on that point in a second. We're moving past the law. And now, verse 16, it's the kingdom of God. See, John the Baptist is this really interesting character. I heard a pastor say one time, he's an Old Testament prophet living in the New Testament. John is the end of the Old Testament that brought in the New Testament. So John is bringing in this kingdom of God. He's preaching it. And guess what? Verse 16, everyone is pressing into it. They don't want the law. They don't want that legalism that the Pharisees were doing. They don't want that. Jesus used the example of you can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't add the newness of the new covenant and grace and mercy to the oldness of the law. You can't do it. And that legalism that the Pharisees were living in was tearing people apart and tearing people down. Have you ever run into a legalistic Christian? They are a joy stealer. A complete joy stealer. Because you know why? They never can live up to the standards they set for themselves. So they're never happy. And they can't be happy if someone else is happy. Because how dare you have joy in the Lord if I don't have joy in the Lord? And that legalism. Now here's the thing. Laws and and right and wrong and morals are, are important. There's a biblical black and white truth in the Bible. And we don't compromise on that in any way whatsoever. But there's also this beautiful term called grace. Grace and mercy is wonderful. And if you run into someone who's so legalistic, you will never be able to please them, they'll never be able to please themselves because part of me being a Christian is realizing I strive for perfection in Christ. I do. That's the goal, Matthew 5.48. But I also realize, as Paul says, I stumble every day. And the grace of God picks me up. What's an example of legalism? I'll just share one example because sometimes they throw out that term legalism and people are like, I don't really get what's a legalistic Christian. Here's a story I heard a pastor say. He said it was in the end of January when this event happened, and there was a person that was somewhat new to the church. And so this person wanted to get involved with the ministry. So there was this homeless shelter that they went every Sunday afternoon, and they fed the homeless, and they ministered to them, and it was a wonderful ministry. This guy went the first time and was just blessed beyond belief. And he came back, and he told one of the people that were help heading up the ministry, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is a ministry where I feel I'm being used by the Lord. I get a chance to minister to people. And and this is for me. Thank the Lord for this. So the the head of the ministry or one of the heads of the ministry said, that's great. We do this every Sunday. So why don't you come back next Sunday and you can help serve again? Well, the guy that was new stopped and said, well, next Sunday. He goes, well, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And he goes, I already had some stuff I was going to do. The head of the ministry tore into him. Saying Super Bowl Sunday. Football is more important than homeless people. Football is more important than giving food to people. You told me how important this is to you and how much you love this ministry. But now you're choosing the things of the world rather than the things of God. So that man that was just starting to serve walked away dejected, walked away hurt, and quit serving. See, that's the thing about legalism. There's nothing wrong with serving every Sunday to feed the homeless and minister. Amen. But when you start making it this legalistic requirement, all of a sudden you're losing the joy of the Lord. 
And see, what happened, these Pharisees were so legalistic, if you didn't meet their standards, and I quote, their standards of righteousness, you were never going to meet anybody's standards. Because they were so legalistic. And the problem was, they were saying it, they were preaching it, but they personally weren't doing it. They have moved to the kingdom of God. Verse 16, John has brought in the covenant of grace, which Jesus would confirm on the cross. So does this mean the law is done? No, look at verse 17. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. See, here's the thing. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we look at Genesis and we say, well, Genesis is an important book. It's got creation in it. It's got the beginning. Okay, the first part of Exodus, that's an important book. That's got Moses. But now once you get to around Exodus 18, 19, 20, you can forget the rest of Exodus. You don't have to worry about Leviticus. Don't worry about Numbers and don't worry about Deuteronomy. Those are law. We're past that. And so since we're past that, we can just move past it because the law is done. The law is over. The law is fulfilled. That's a key word. The law is fulfilled. Now, it doesn't mean the law is over and done. It means the law is fulfilled. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. You aren't under the requirements of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy anymore because it has been fulfilled. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that those things that were written in there are no longer important. Christ fulfilled those for us. In fact, it says in the book of Titus, as you're going to Matthew 5, Titus chapter 3 says this. Titus 3 says that the law was a tutor that brought us towards Christ. The law served a purpose of revealing our sin and bringing us towards the law. I mean, of the Lord, excuse me. So as Jesus here is trying to tell the Pharisees, he's not trying to say the law is over. He says, actually, look at Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, so heaven and earth pass away. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That phrase, jot or tittle, the way I always describe it, is they're little insignificant marks. It's like the dot of an I, it's like the cross of a T. You look at them and you don't think they're that important. One commentator said it's like an apostrophe. You almost look over it. Jesus is saying, no, all those little dots, all those little things mean something and they're all vital and important. But he's also saying, I fulfilled it. So if it's ever brought to your attention, well, as a Christian, why don't you have to do Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? It's fulfilled. I remember one time talking to somebody, and they were angry at the Lord, and they just kept bringing up Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and look at this, and look at this. And I remember the best thing I could say to them was, aren't you glad Jesus fulfilled that for you? Aren't you glad that that requirement is taken care of? Aren't you glad you had a Savior that loved you enough to say, I will fulfill all those requirements for you, so you don't have to do it? That's what Jesus did. He fulfilled Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy for you. And what a blessing that is. And so since he's done that, we're free from that because it has been fulfilled. And so therefore now we can walk in this grace and this mercy and not this legalism. See, the Pharisees were still walking in the legalism. And they were hypocrites. That's why verse 18 is thrown in there. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. That verse looks like it's just kind of thrown in there for no reason. But what was happening is the Pharisees had this really strange idea on divorce and marriage. Turn, if you will, with me to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. See, the Pharisees taught the legality of divorce. 
the letter of the law, they read it as that you could just be done anytime you want. You come home from work and you don't like the way the house is. You don't like the way the meal is. Well, I'm done with your wife. I will find a new one. And that was the legality of it. They had the law down. Where was the heart? Look at Matthew 19, please. Matthew 19. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? See, they were in that legality of it. We can just be done anytime we want. Jesus says it's not about the legality, it's about the heart. Verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, well, Why then did Moses command to give the certificate of divorce and to put her away? See, that's the legality of it. That's what it says. See, Jesus is using this example to the Pharisees. is to say, listen, it's the heart issue that matters. It's the heart. Not the letter of the law. It's the heart. Our older boys at home, and every now and then if some of the younger boys are doing something they shouldn't be doing, especially Tyrus now who is you know, getting to be about uh, 13 months old, he's starting to get into everything, and it's that busy time of season. So if he sees them, if the older boys see Tyrus or maybe Layden doing something, They'll come up and be like, Dad, they were doing this wrong. You want me to discipline them? It's like, no, I don't, I don't need you to discipline them. We can t- well, they're doing something wrong. Okay, you got the law down. You got the legality of it. The heart issue, we want to train them in what's right. See, how often as Christians do we get the law down? Well, look at the way she's dressed. She's wrong, so since she's wrong, I don't want to be around her. Okay, that's law. Her heart also needs to be addressed. Well, look at the way he talks. Since he cusses like that and since he acts like that, I don't want to be around him in any way whatsoever. Okay, that's good. That's law. What about the heart issue that needs to be addressed? See, there, there is this legality that the Pharisees were under, but they were missing the heart. They looked good on the outside, but they weren't right on the inside. And Jesus says, we have to address the heart. That's what it comes down to. And isn't that what Christianity does? It addresses the heart. See, we can all show up on Sundays, bring our Bibles in, smile, raise our hands in worship, and say, praise the Lord. We sure look good. What's the heart like 24-7? That's what Jesus kind of wants to get into. And so he's using the example of the Pharisees here to say, do you understand this? And then he brings in this amazing story in verses 19 through 31. Now, verses 19 through 31, this is quite the interesting thing. I don't know how your Bible titles it. My Bible titles it, The Rich Man and Lazarus. Now, it looks like it's a separate story, but it ties in exactly to what we were talking about. And I need to make a couple points here about this before we jump into this story. The first one, is this a parable or is this a story? See, when Jesus gives a parable, he almost always just uses generic terms. Master, servant, father, son, widow, Here in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, verses 19 through 31, he actually names people. Some people believe that this isn't a parable, this is an actual story. Now, there's no reason to believe that the Lazarus mentioned in verses 19 through 31 is the same Lazarus of Mary and Martha. It doesn't seem to be that way. Now, and also as you go through verses 19 and 31, it brings up a lot of questions. Because we start talking about heaven and hell and death and judgment and torment. And I don't want to skip over those things. So we're going to actually come back and revisit this chapter. We're going to do two teachings on verses 19 through 31. The first teaching is the context 
of the story here of the Pharisees. The next time we come back and address this, we're going to talk about what happens when you die. Because that's exactly what this is also about too. What happens when a soul dies? So with that being said, let's jump right into this. Verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Stop right there. As soon as Jesus starts telling this story, the Pharisees are going to say, That guy knows God. He's rich. He fared sumptuously. This guy's the good guy. Verse 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog came and licked at his sores. Pharisees would stop and say, okay, that's the bad guy. He's a beggar. He's got sores. The dog, unclean. I mean, this is so straightforward. I mean, this is like watching one of those old cartoons, and you've got the angel wing guy on the one shoulder and the little devil with the pitchfork on the other shoulder. You know right from the beginning who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Jesus is a wonderful storyteller because he sets them up perfectly. Verse 22, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being torments in Hades, he lifts up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Right then and there, he flips everything on its head. The beggar goes to heaven. The rich man dies and is in torments. That would throw everything off. I mean, that would completely, utterly throw the theology of the Pharisees off. The beggar goes to torment. He's a beggar. He's unclean. He's full of sores. Dogs are licking him. This this guy does not have anything on his resume to get him into heaven. The, The rich man, he's rich. Why would God bless somebody if he wasn't his? I mean, that just makes sense, right? It's not the outside appearance It's the heart. And do we not do that sometimes as a body of Christ? We see the beggar. Well, obviously you're not right with the Lord. We see the rich man. Well, obviously you're right with the Lord. We may not come out and say, actually, wealth equals salvation, but we look at your lifestyle and how you're living, and obviously you're not right with the Lord. Well, let's see what happens here. Verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, there is, beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Stop there for a second. Verse 27. Send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them. The man who in this world the rich man despised and looked down upon suddenly has value in eternity. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Lazarus has value now to the rich man. Where on this earth, the rich man despised him, ignored him, left him. Because it's not the outside, it's the heart. Verse 28, For I have five brothers that he may also testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. This man, Lazarus, which I don't want to add to scriptures, you almost envision this rich man purposely walking out of the way to not go near him. You almost envision this rich man being disgusted at this guy, verse 20, that lays at my gate. Can't can't we just move him? Can't we just get rid of him? I mean, talk about curb appeal. This guy just brings down everything. All of a sudden now in eternity, the rich man is begging, send Lazarus to testify to my brothers. 
The point that Jesus is trying to make is, Pharisees, you sure look good on the outside. Your inside is rotten and dead. And through eternity, that is the problem. And that's the point he's trying to make. What happens? Verse 29, Abraham said to them, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Okay, didn't we already try this a couple times? The other Lazarus in the Bible that was raised from the dead, the way the Jews handled that was, let's kill him. Jesus, he kind of rose from the dead, and what did everybody try to do? Try to squash that a little bit. What's the answer? Verse 31. He said to him, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I tell you, the, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize the importance of doing exactly what it says in verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets. When I first started doing counseling, I thought it was my responsibility to give everybody all my wisdom. And I will tell you exactly what I think you should do in this situation. And here's how I would handle it and go. Go in the wisdom of James. Would you like me to bless you before you leave? The more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I just need to give you Scripture. Because Scripture just doesn't return void. And so, and if you've ever come and sat down with me, you know what I normally do. I will get out my pad of paper, and as you're talking, I will write down stuff. And as you lend, leave, I will rip that off, give it to you, and say, here's some Scriptures. Go pray over it. Scripture doesn't return void. The Bible makes it clear in Hebrews that, that there is this power in the Word that it cuts right to the heart. My words are easily forgotten. My words easily fall flat. Scripture cuts to the heart. It says in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. You want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, it comes through the word. So that leads to two things. Number one, if you are what I call the moth magnet, you are just the person at work, you're the person in life, you are that person that everybody is attracted to, and you don't know why, but they're always coming up to you saying, here's my problem, what do you think I should do? Everybody just spills their guts to you. You are the light. The best thing you could do is just constantly give them scriptures. Well, they're not saved. Well, then tell them, you know what the Bible says in this situation? Constantly give them scriptures. Now flip it around. Now you're not the light, now you're the moth. And you're the one constantly going to people. What do you think I should do? I have another situation here. What do you think? Get into the word. And allow the word to give you strength and wisdom and guidance. And whoever you go to, ask. Especially, obviously, if they're a believer. Do you know any Bible verses that would be good for me to pray over and think over and meditate on and study on? I tell you, it's the law and the prophets. It's God's word that's going to make a difference in your life. It truly, honestly is. And so what Abraham is saying here is, listen. You want us to send Lazarus back from the dead. He goes, knocks on your dad's house and says, hey, brothers, I saw your rich man. He's down there. He's in torments. I was in Abraham's bosom. It was really good. Let me tell you about it. Abraham says that's not going to do any good. Any information they need is already found in the Bible. And is that not the truth? Anything we need is already found in the solidness of Scripture to get us through. So when we come back, we'll do verses 19 through 31, and we'll talk about death and eternity, and heaven, and hell, and Hades. We'll get into all of that. But for right now, the context of this chapter is Pharisees. You despise and reject the Lazarus of this world when really they hold a value that you will never understand because your heart is not right with the Lord. Let's make our final point with this. Can you turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians 12. 
question to ask you as we get ready to close. Do you have a Lazarus in your life? Do you have somebody that you walk out of the way to not be near them? Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's somebody in your life where you just look at them and there's a despising and there's a rejecting of who they are. And you purposely try to get away from them. You know, sometimes we spend so much time and energy getting away from the Lazaruses of this world where God says, it's not not who I want you to minister to. I just had a situation not too long ago. I was getting ready to go somewhere, and I just really was just feeling overwhelmed with some situations going on. And I said, Lord, I just want to encourage people. I just want to uplift people. I just want to give people hope that are in a hopeless situation. That same day, someone called. I was in a hopeless situation. You know what my first thought was? That's not the person I wanted to give hope to. I have other people that I was hoping to give hope to that are a lot easier to give hope to. God says, wait a second. Don't you want to give hope to everybody? See, we've got to love the Lazaruses. We, we need to. Look at here. Look what the Bible says about the body of Christ. Verses 1 through 11 set the scene saying that the Holy Spirit blesses the body of Christ and we're all blessed with the gift of the Spirit. So then it says this in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So like it or not, we're all together. We're a family. And, and as a family, you get some strange ones. I mean, have you ever really studied out the 12 apostles? I mean, you had fishermen with tax collectors, with zealots. And a lot of us don't know what the zealots are. The zealots, they were zealous for what? Independence from Rome. They were the political people of 2,000 years ago. You had the fishermen that were the down and dirty people of 2,000 years ago. You had the tax collectors with the white collars of 2,000 years ago. You had siblings that argued. You had siblings that argued with other sets of siblings. You had apostates and Judas right in the middle of it. You had the Bartholomews that just never said a word. Never said anything. You had the Thomases that were questioning everything. The 12 disciples are a picture of the body of Christ of today. A dysfunctional, funky group of people that God brings together. I was talking to someone not too long ago who was kind of new to the church, and they were talking about how fascinating they find it that they're a blue-collar person, and they get to come to church, and they get to socialize with the white-collar people of the world. And it wasn't like this hierarchy thing. He didn't mean it that way at all. He just simply said, the group of people I run with, I would never run into people that have a degree in this, 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 or that. He goes, it's fascinating to see how the body of Christ comes together. Now, as the body of Christ comes together, guess what the enemy tries to do? Push it apart. If we spend all of our energy fighting each other, if we spend all of our energy trying to stay away from the Lazaruses of this world, we have no energy left to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the power of the unity here. So it goes on, verse 12, we're one body, one body with many members. Then it goes on to say that the ear says, I don't want the eye. The eye says, I don't want the ear. Oh, look how he kind of sums it up here. Verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Don't we do that? I, I don't need that person in my life. Cut them out. I have a pastor friend that uses the term blessed subtraction. Or sometimes there's people in his church that leave, and he says, amen. It's a blessed subtraction. Now, we've got to be careful about that. Because I have noticed that sometimes people in my life that I say, I can let go of that hand, that foot, that eye. Time goes by, kind of wish that eye, that hand, that foot was back. See, verse 22. 
No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Why? That there should be no schism, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. See, God says, I want unity. It's the same thing, parents, if you have kids. You don't want to see your kids argue. God doesn't want to see us argue either. And as we argue, that just makes the enemy win because all that energy is devoted to fighting rather than evangelizing. Verse 26, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We suffer together, we rejoice together. Every now and then I'll have somebody come up to me and ask me about Wednesday night's prayer requests. And sometimes Wednesday night prayer requests go on for quite some time. But that is an opportunity we have as a body to publicly rejoice with one another and to suffer with one another. So when somebody lifts up a prayer request and it's a difficult situation for a loved one, as they mention that prayer request, we suffer together as a body as we pray. If somebody lifts up a praise report that we may not even fully understand or get the whole picture of, we still rejoice with that person as a body. We suffer together, we rejoice together, and that is the body of Christ. Now, back to the Pharisees and Lazarus. The Pharisees were so legalistic, they were so righteous in their own mind, they stepped over the Lazarus of this world. And then what was revealed in eternity was the value that the Lazarus had. Don't become so legalistic that you lose any heavenly good you may be on this earth. It doesn't mean you compromise on right and wrong. It doesn't mean you compromise on the biblical truth. In this world we live in, we need more people to take a stand for what's right. But at the same time, we don't want to become the Pharisees of this age of where we basically are saying what to do But our inside heart is not focused on the Lord in any way whatsoever. It's very easy to get so focused on saying the right things that we forget to do the right things. And eventually the whole house crumbles. It's the heart that matters. That's the point that Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees. Marv, you can come forward here for the final song. Like I said, we're going to come back and we're going to um, go through some of that Luke 16 again because I think it's an important.